Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Well, it is my joy to introduce our guest speaker today, the wonderful Rich Velodis. Hey, Rich. So pleased that you're able to join us all the way from New York. I hope you can see my T-shirt. I put it on especially. It says New York on it. Or something. Beautiful. Thank you. Just to make you feel, so cool. feel the love. Hospitality. Um, I know a lot of you will know of Rich uh, because God's using him far and wide. Uh, Rich and I actually bumped into each other at a conference in London probably five years ago now, um, an emotionally healthy uh, spirituality conference. And uh, we just got on like a house on fire. If I remember correctly, you bought me lunch. I think you bought me a sandwich. I, I think I did, which I, I, think, think, you, I think you owe me a, something, a hot dog or something. A Subway or something, yeah. I, I was very impressed with your kindness. Uh, <laughs> Rich is the past senior pastor at a New Life Fellowship in New York, in Queens. And uh, I've never been to New York, but I understand that that part of New York is an especially thriving, super diverse, over 75 nations, I believe, in your congregation. And what I've absolutely loved about um, the vision of New Life Fellowship is this blend of um, tremendous diversity and serving the poor and the powerful all together uh, in a very busy place. But at the same time, this really beautiful embracing of contemplative spirituality. And actually, uh, that is a deep passion of ours as we start this journey here in San Francisco, there's some real parallels, and it's it's a real a real joy to have you with us, Rich. At this at this point, this foundation lane stage where the cement is still very wet, I'm so thrilled that we've actually felt the nudge of God to get emotional, healthy spirituality deep into our being right now, and to have you here yourself actually to be able to speak on the sixth principle, which is you know I think particularly relevant for us right now. Uh, it's the whole idea of living in each other's worlds, making incarnation your model for loving well. And obviously, I just want to say almost as uh, with my sanctuary pastor hat on, I think, I think there's like a prophetic nowness to this principle. Mm. Living in each other's worlds, the obvious issues of race and us all needing to deliberately, consciously think what would it feel like to be in that person's shoes even as we anticipate re-entry um, with regards COVID and some people in one sort of, you know, camp in terms of approaching it and others in another camp. I was just thinking, wow, I'm so pleased that Rich, you're here today to speak on something that's not just some sort of theological principle, but is immensely practical and prophetically relevant now. So Rich, we are so grateful for you. Just to say practically, Rich is going to speak for 25 minutes or, or so, which I just commend you for that. I've attempted to get nearer that time and I've failed terribly. So you can all, offline, you can teach me your great skills of concise preaching. Uh, and also we, we're going to then have a brief response worship wise and come back to some Q and A. And if you would like to ask Rich a question, 
He's been super involved and vocal and very helpful in thinking clearly about particularly issues of race. Um, please do uh, ask those questions. The best way to do that is jump on the chat box and do a private message to Tim Harms, who's been uh, hosting us through. And Tim will get that message uh, to, to Rich to answer. So, Rich, thank you so much, brother. Uh, over to you, my friend. Uh, so good to, uh, to be here. Yeah, it was actually 2014 in London uh, when we met. And uh, I remember uh, it was uh, at the Salvation Army uh, yeah. Sanctuary. Yes. And uh, you sat in the front uh, row at one point and we hit it off very quickly. And then from that point, over the past six years, you and I have gone back and forth in text messaging and emails, yeah. phone call from time to time. So just a joy to see what you're up to in that great city of um, in, in San Francisco there. And so uh, what a what a gift to, to be here. So um, you are right. I think with regard to the particular cultural moment we are in, uh, this notion of incarnational listening is such an important act. And it's, I believe, a formative act, especially as you as your congregation is forming, and there's so many layers at work here. There's application for us in our homes, for us in our church, for us in large societal issues, community engagement. Uh, this simple uh, exercise, practice, theological conviction, really, uh, is often what makes or break churches and what joins churches together in love, or what splits churches together um, through hostility and uh, a refusal to uh, be patient and listen to one another. So uh, I think what you're doing here is, is delightful and it's wonderful. Uh, I think when I, to, to kick this off, I, I think about something the Quaker author Douglas Steer has written. Douglas Steer wrote these words that to listen to another person's soul uh, may be the greatest service that another human being performs for another, that to listen to another human being's soul might be the greatest service we perform for another person. And I think he's on to something there, that there's a gift of being able to have someone deeply listen to us, not in a perfunctory way, not in a hurry up and talk so I can finish what I want to say, but to really grasp What's deeply happening in my soul? When married couples do that for one another, there is a depth of intimacy that's experienced when I say, I want to listen to you at the deepest level of your soul. When there's conflict or someone is hurt and we say, I, I want to really listen to you. What's going on in your soul? There is a gift that we exchange. And so in so doing, in the listening of one another, I, I believe there's something that happens in that space something profoundly spiritual, something profoundly theological, that when one or two people are, are, are given to each other's presence in that way, where they are present to each other's presence, we move beyond just uh, having a, a conversation between another person or listening. I believe God enters into that space. It was actually Martin Buber, who's a Jewish theologian, who, uh, who, who wrote a book called I Vow, uh, and, but he said that when two people relate to each other authentically uh, and, and humanly, that God is, becomes the electricity that surges between them. 
that they, this is this is very trinitarian this is this is the father loving the son in the in 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 the bond of the spirit son loving the father in the bond of the spirit that when we are attentive to one another there is something of the trinitarian love of god that becomes present in our own lives and embodied in our lives and so i i start off just with that that this is a profoundly theological profoundly spiritual, profoundly mystical as well. When we get it the right way and we're present to each other's presence, that something happens. Now, along the lines of Buber, he, I, I, you know, he wrote this book, I and Thou, but he makes a contrast that there are two ways that we relate to each other. We either see each other as objects or subjects, as an it or a thou. And he notes that the human tendency is to see people not as people, but to see them as an object. And so we get frustrated with people when they don't fit into our plans. We start treating them as objects, as a means to an end. And Buber argues that the most healthy relationship and mature relationship is moving beyond seeing them as an it, as a simple means to an end, but as a thou, as a you. And in order to do that, it requires us to deeply listen and to affirm another person's uniqueness, their very existence, their history, their story, their present reality. And, and, and then God penetrates that space uh, when we encounter one another in that way. Now, I have to tell you uh, that I have often failed at this, but when I have succeeded, there is something really powerful. Let me tell a story, something that happened two years ago. Two years ago was uh, Thanksgiving, the week before Thanksgiving, and this year we were planning on taking a drive from New York City to North Carolina, which is about 500 miles south, for those of you who are unfamiliar with just uh, the United States. So uh, 500 miles south, uh, which would be a good 12-hour ride. My parents are from Florida. They, were, they live in Florida. They were going to drive 500 miles north, and we were going to meet in the middle and have a wonderful feast with my cousin who had a large house and was going to house us all. And so we planned this for a number of weeks and uh, we were going to leave on a Tuesday, but on that Monday, my daughter had a fever and she was, uh, you know, I'd say eight years old at this time. And when she gets fevers, it triggers asthma. It's just a a big ordeal. And so uh, I say, you know, it's Monday. Let me take her to her pediatrician. We go to the pediatrician's office and the pediatrician says, you know what, if you do this, this and that, you'll be fine to take the drive down. I said, perfect. This is great. So I call my wife. I tell her the good news, bring my daughter home. And then I'm going to run out for some errands to prepare for the trip. Well, while I'm at the supermarket, my wife sends me a text message and she says, I don't want to drive down to North Carolina. Now at this moment, I'm livid. We've planned for this. My parents are already on their way driving. We've planned this. We, 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 and what do you mean? Don't, so first of all, thank God I was uh, 20 minutes away. Uh, but I noticed my, my, I was just so angry and dismissive of her. I just said, the doctor said she's going to be okay. And so 20 minutes later, I settled down a little bit and something was happening in my soul, which I'll get to in a moment. Uh, and I got home and recognized the best gift I can give her is my presence in this moment. And so I got home 
And I note, I say this, first of all, as a, just to say as a disclaimer, not to make me husband of the year, because this happens probably once every, you know, uh, 18 months or so. Uh, but, but to just say, I sat knee to knee, eye to eye, held her in her hand and said, tell me, what are you feeling? And in that moment, she shared her anxiety and my sheer presence of just saying, I hear that. And if you don't want to go, and I reflected back to her, all of that, we don't have to go. And I would call my mother and my father and say, we can't make it down for X and Y reason. Now, the sheer fact that I gave her that space, by the end of that 10 to 12 minute conversation, she said, you know what? I think we can go. Which for me, I just said, thank God, because I didn't want to call my mother, you know? Uh, I just pray, praise the Lord. And, and, but in that moment, I offered her a gift. And she's done the same for me more than I have for her, I would say. Uh, but there was something that happened in that particular moment. And I realized... Why is this not a normal reality for us? Why is this such a scarce uh, occasion that happens in our lives? And I think it comes down to three things. Reactivity, defensiveness, and a lack of humility. Reactivity, defensiveness, and a lack of reactivity. And our society doesn't listen well. We have a hard time listening without reactivity, which is why in our society right now, to say the simple, theologically accurate phrase, Black Lives Matter, for some people, they can't hear it because of their reactivity. It's a theological phrase that's emphasized that these group of people matter, but why can't we listen? because of the reactivity, defensiveness, and the lack of humility that's going on inside of us. And so we don't live in a society that listens well. And here's a good reason to help us identify why. And this goes back to, I'm sure what you've already talked about, about our family of origin. And a good question for you to even think about at some point for your own time is, how did your family listen? Were you listened to as a child? Was there space in your family to see another as a thou and not an it, to cultivate presence with them. And it's often the case that that's not. And so whatever we say at New Life, you know, Jesus might live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. And, and whatever's deeply entrenched in you from generation to generation, you're going to have a hard time undoing it unless we work really hard through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so how did your family listen? That's just a question you need to wrestle with on your own. And now unearth, what is God saying to me in light of how I have been particularly formed through this? Now, um, this notion of incarnational listening. And so uh, we enter into someone's space. There's God in the midst there. But what does this mean to be incarnational? And again, I just want to focus. This is deeply theological. This is John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwells among us. The incarnation of God. God moves close to humanity, to God's created order. And I just want to just highlight for a moment just the various movements of incarnational listening. And then I'm going to explain it. So I'm just going to share my screen for one moment here and give you a sense as to when, when we talk about incarnational listening, what, what do we mean here when we say it? And uh, three movements. And here are the simple movements here. The first movement is that you leave your world, letting go of what's familiar and taking a risk to step out, especially with regard to race, culture, the divisive issues, or any particular hot button issue that you're addressing. 
the second movement is that you enter into someone's world through and you, by practicing active, humble, curious listening. And then the third movement is that you allow yourself to be formed by another, opening up to their experience, story, worldview, whatever, while holding on to yourself. The last part is important, and I'll talk about some caveats in a moment, but that's essentially we leave our world, we enter into someone else's world through humble, curious listening, and we allow ourselves to be formed into someone uh, else's experience, their worldview, their narrative, etc. Et and uh, when I think about this, I think about this film uh, by a guy named Lee Isaac Chung. And he was a, a, a congregant. Uh, he directed this film called Muyur and Gabo, which is about a film in Rwanda and just the, the Rwandan genocide. It came out in 2000, 2008, 2009. And he talks about what it means for him to be incarnational in listening, entering into a different space. And I just love what he sent me an email one day just highlighting this experience of entering into someone else's world in this regard. And, and this is what he said along those lines. And he talked about reconciliation, but it's a, 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 the need to listen and enter into someone else's world. And I think it's important. He says, reconciliation involves a willingness or willing act to be vulnerable to another culture. And I, I would say to another person, uh, depending on what the situation is. And I found that this cannot be authentic if it's done with any feeling that any culture is better or worse than your own. When I went to Rwanda, I thought that as a Korean who grew up on a farm in Arkansas, I knew a lot about bridging cultures, but I realized I had some deep-seated prejudices in assuming that I had more to offer people in Rwanda than they had to offer me. It would have been just as false to assume I had nothing to offer, demonizing my Western and Eastern upbringing to embrace a fully African way of life. Then he continues. Instead, let's see if I can grab it. Instead, when I embraced them as equals and they saw me in the same way, I have seen us shape each other in a healthy way as good friends. I also found that there was never a moment of epiphany that made me embrace and learn from Rwandan culture. Instead, every conversation and visit seemed like a process, the way close family members might have issues they must work through for an entire lifetime. This still isn't easy for me and it doesn't come naturally, but my commitment to friendships in Rwanda is a commitment to keep at the process of reconciliation, believing that deep down this process itself is holy work. He's entering into another person's reality with great humility, realizing I have something to learn and I have something uh, to offer. And so when we think about Jesus in this particular moment, and um, let me try uh, to unshare my screen here for him. Here he goes. Uh, Jesus in this particular moment, I think that when we look at the movements of Christ, it's important to see the the proportion of time that Jesus listened. Now, now Jesus, 33 years, lived. His ministry was three years. But for 30 years, Jesus lived in relative silence, uh, incarnating his life into this experience, listening deeply, so that when it was time for him to speak, he spoke with a level of perception, a level of compassion, a level of understanding. And I think that's really important that the, the idea of silence is so critical to listening, which is why um, 
those movements, leave your world, enter, it, it's, it, it preaches wonderfully. And, and everybody will say amen, but to live it is excruciating. But unless we are practicing silence, Jesus for 30 years is relatively silent before he speaks. We're going to have a hard time entering into someone else's world. Now, which is why contemplative prayer, when I pray, I would say most of my prayer time, I, I would say, and this is me not giving a prescription to you, but this is me telling you how, about how I pray. 75% of my prayer life is silence. It's pure silence, attentive to the presence of God. And the reason I do this is, number one, I don't want to make prayer transactional. And, and I don't want to make God utilitarian. God is uh, God is God, and I want to be into that. I want to be in that shared space. But it shapes me to relate to others in the same way. Uh, to move beyond transactional relationships, and to move beyond seeing people in utilitarian ways. That God and my neighbor, uh, you know, our, my neighbor should be treasured, and I want to be present to their presence. And so to leave our world, the, the goal is presence. That is the goal. Presence is the gift. And in a distracting culture, we often, the last thing we give is our presence. We give our absence, but not our presence. The second really goal of it is understanding, which is why I, I realize we are in a very polarized society right now. And I recognize that to do incarnational listening, to leave my world, to enter into someone else's world uh, through humble, curious listening requires a level of curiosity and a level of humility. And so, for example, I, I, there's a simple question that I think if we were to ask this question and humbly listen, it would, first of all, it will cut our sinning in half. Okay, if you want to cut your sinning in half, just listen to this question right here. And it, will and it will produce much more understanding. Here's the question. When you say blank, what do you mean? That's a humble, curious, incarnational question. When, so, for example, when you say uh, the gospel, what do you mean? When you say justice, what do you mean? When you say racism, what do you mean? If we can, with curiosity, begin to step into someone else's world to humbly listen, and then from that point on, engage in conversation. I, I, I think not only will we cut our sitting in half, because most of the time we're talking over each other without even coming to understand how one person is seeing a particular issue. Uh, or, or, or again, we're not humble in our listening. So uh, presence and understanding is the goal of incarnational listening. In order to do it, however, uh, it also requires us to see something. Now, this is happening all over on social media. The, the level of vitriol, animosity, how can we actually listen to one another in a way where we honor their presence, where we honor their dignity, uh, and we honor God in the process? And one of the reasons we can't do this is because we are not able to identify, particularly in tense moments, our mutual woundedness. Let me give a very quick, uh, uh, I preached this morning on gentleness over here in New York. And Stanley Hauerwas, a uh, theologian, he wrote a book called Living Gently in a Violent World. And um, 
he says, when we encounter someone, especially someone in which uh, we're having a very difficult moment with, maybe someone's attacking us, someone is judging us, etc. He says, we can see that person in one or two ways. We can see that person as an enemy to be defeated, or we can see a wound that needs to be healed. An enemy to be defeated, or a wound that needs to be healed. Now, I'm not trying to be idealistic and romanticize all of this here, but I think those are the two ways that we see people, through the lens of someone who needs to be conquered or through the lens of someone who has a wound that needs to be healed. And I think if we begin to see the latter rather than the former, we will create space for listening. Now, let me just say uh, two more things and then... uh, my time will be up here. Listening needs to be nuanced. And by nuanced, I mean this. We have to recognize power dynamics in listening. Power dynamics in listening. And by that, I mean, we're, as the body of Christ, we're all called to listen to each other. There's a mutuality of listening. However, the people who listen first and more often are those who have benefited from the privilege of social power. And this is very important. Are we to listen to everyone? Absolutely. But who listens first? And who is to listen more often? Now, as a man in a male-dominated patriarchal society, um, men are to lead the way in listening to women. Amen somebody, all right? (laughs) Uh, uh, the poor, the, the, the upwardly mobile, if you want to, I'm not talking about how the world operates. I'm talking about how the kingdom of God operates in the kingdom of God. Those who have benefited from the privilege of social power are to listen first, divesting them. This is Philippians two, divesting themselves for the purpose of their power, for the sake of listening. And so upwardly mobile people are to listen to people who are on the lower socioeconomic spectrum. And this reality as well, talking about race, we're in this big conversation with race. Historically speaking, black people are on the margins of society. And so who's to listen first? White people are to listen first and foremost. This does not mean that black people and people of color are not to listen to white people. But this is a very Christian way of living. That those who have experienced and benefited from the uh, privilege of social power are to listen first. That means that the pastor is to listen first to the congregant. Now, th- again, this is the way of Jesus, and this is why it's so complicated. Now, secondly, uh, listening and agreeing uh, doesn't necessarily have to happen. You can listen without agreeing. And so that's a very important thing. Just because I give you your, my presence doesn't mean I have to agree with you on everything. And I think we just have to name that as well that to give each other one another's presence does not mean that we have to agree with everything. Here's the last thing I'd say, and then we'll we'll move into uh, just a response song. I often think about the challenge in my own life to listen. And so much of the challenge in my own life to listen is happens because there's so much material in my interior life that's unresolved. And so I can tell each of you right now, 
leave your world, enter to someone else's world, you know, reflect back to them. I hear you saying this. I hear you saying this. Is this what you're saying? And, and, and you, can, you can do it externally on the outside, but on the inside, be so disconnected. And listen, I've been doing this for, for over a decade with this training, learning myself. You can do the, the practice on the outside, but be internally resistant and not present. And I often realize, why is it that we get so caught, caught up in the moment without truly listening? And it is very simply this. We have not done the hard work of examining our reactions. And so I, I want to just give you a very simple framework that I've used to help me listen better. And it's a five-question framework. Very simple. Uh, and... When it, to listen better, I have to do the work of not just being with God, but being with myself so I can listen better. Um, there was a, uh, a, a Christian, very well-known Christian woman in our country. She's a friend of mine. She inboxed me on Instagram one day, and she had a word of critique for me. In love. She said it in love, generous spirit. But when I heard her, uh, and read what she wrote in love. I was so bothered. At first, like, how, how dare you? You know, just how, who do you think you are? All of that. There. But I had been in that week practicing examining my reactions through a five question framework. And I did this, Tom, I did this for about a month, multiple times a day. And let me tell you, I did this for about a month. And I haven't had to do it much ever since. I think, I mean, it wasn't quite an exorcism, but something came out of me in terms of my need to be validated by everyone. And here's the four, I asked the question, what happened? That's the first question. The second question is, what am I feeling? The third question is, what's the story I'm telling myself? The fourth question is, what does the gospel say? The fifth question is, what is now my counter instinctual act that I need to do? So let me very simply tell how this worked out. She critiqued me. I was offended. How dare you talk to me like that? All of that there, <laughs> even though it was in love. And what happened? I got critiqued. How, what did I feel? Shame. What did I tell myself? I will always make mistakes and my, you know, I'll be marked by this here. What does the gospel say? Jesus Christ loves me unconditionally and gives me permission to make mistakes. What was the counter instinctual act I needed at that moment to process with someone as opposed to keeping that within my own soul? And I want to say that framework has been so helpful in paying attention to my own soul and my own reactivity, my own defensiveness, so that when it's time to listen to someone else, I'm already having my own interior dialogue. I'm already aware. And by God's grace, I can be a presence to someone else. And so I say all that to say, we are called to listen to one another, but it's not as easy as it sounds. It requires us to do the hard work of being with God in silence and doing the hard work of self-examination so that our very presence will be one marked by love. Amen. I think that's 25 minutes, Tom. 